This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we take a random walk. Let's say you want to bet on a football game or play some blackjack on a family trip to Vegas. You put $5 on the Kansas City Chiefs to beat the Detroit Lions. But when the Lions pull the upset, you aren't deterred. However, you need to make up the lost money too. So now, on the next game, you bet $10. The strategy is called the Martingale system, and it will always fail. Always. The reason is simple. The system shows that a gambler will always, always lose more than they have to bet with, even if they're worth billions of dollars. The question is not if it happens, but when. The math behind the gambling fallacy can help us understand number systems and integers that shape our world in ways such as cruise control and estimating the size of the internet. However, the fallacies that lurk within the random walks can bankrupt anyone who doesn't understand the math. Welcome to episode 83 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Chris, I there's a birthday boy outside. I'm recording this in California for my nephew. There was a three-year-old in the house last night. Now there is a four-year-old, so we are excited today. We're moving up in the world. Yeah. The average age going up, experience level going up. Did he get some good gifts? He did. He opened them immediately, uh, one of which was Obviously. he's really into geography and space. You got a globe Ooh, I like with that. a little pen that you can touch the globe, and it will tell you about the country, which is just the oh, it's like a little like a little stylus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, incredible stuff. I it, mean, that's amazing. I, I wish I had that. It yeah, it is very very cool. Also, uh, he had a great spin zone the other night for a three year old, which I the thought kid? was yes, he spun it so hard. He had an enormous tantrum because we there's a swimming pool in the backyard with a hot tub, and he wanted to do swimming pool stuff in the hot tub, and they said no, and then he freaked out and had to go to bed so then during the freak spin out, zone yes and here's comes the spin zone are you ready he said the only reason he was crying is because he's a three-year-old and that he won't cry when he's four <laughs> <laughs> yeah I want to get one last one out mom yeah so last night i told him it was like you got you want to cry real quick before bed because that was a couple days ago you want to cry real quick before bed because I'm telling you, uh, you can't cry when you're four. He's like, I know. You can't cry when you're four. Four-year-olds wow. do not cry. So we're having a grand old time. There's a big old birthday party. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, very. It must be nice to have there, somebody there that is now finally can relate to you mm-hmm. on like a person-to-person level now we that have he's been, aged up. We've been hanging out. Yeah, we're, we're homies for sure. I, when his parents were, were baking goods for the birthday party, I was distracting him by um, playing a bunch of old school uncle tricks on him. Like, oh, I got your ear and like telling him to put his fake quarter in a savings account and that kind of thing. Did you get his, did you get his nose back? Uh, I no. assume you took it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He's just, so he's still noseless. He's still, he is 100, he's 100% noseless. So that's what's been going on in my life. You are traveling um, as we listen to this. So uh, we wanted to record one a little bit early. And when we do that, we, every now and then we just have to do an episode that's based in good old fashioned mathematics. So we're going to get into some gambling stuff and some decision making trees and pathways and something called a random walk, which isn't 
random, but it is random, but it's how we know how big the internet is, but we don't really know how big the internet is. We can only kind of guess because the walks are random. So we're going to talk about all of that coming up. I wanted to talk about the book club because book club was a great idea and it is coming back for sure. It was, it was a great idea. We had a great time. A uh, huge shout out to everybody that joined us on the Fable app. You can, you can find the Game Theory book club on the Fable app if you download that. We have gone through one book yep. and I am very pleased with the level of conversation. Shout out to John. Shout out to John. John was a major contributor to the chapter discussions throughout. Yep, yep. The the book we read was The Swerve by Stephen Greenblatt. Uh, I have thoughts on it. We're Nick has thoughts on that. it. They're We're not necessarily the same. Yeah. We are going to discuss it. Yeah. Right? yeah. But I've been moving. I've been traveling across the country. There's moving trucks. It's been a, there's a big garbage summer in terms of stuff to do. So we're gonna when things settle down, we'll get back into a better routine where we can just turn the recording equipment on and do a couple in a row. Um, that that will be included in that. Also, the book club. I'm gonna. It's not closing. I think throughout the years, we're we're always going to try to do two or three in the summer. But throughout the months, if there's ever a moment like you know what we should all do, we should all get together and read this book. We'll just fire it back up and put the link in the description, and we'll all just we'll all just read the books. So I I think that's the move. I agree with you. I I think trying to structure a book club on top of structuring, or you know, we we produce this podcast weekly. I think trying to do more than we're capable of doing is not a good idea. And I also think it is a little bit less stressful if you can just kind of walk through the books that you enjoy as you uncover them. You know, shout outs to Dr. Alley for the suggestion that we should read books that everybody says they've read before, but they haven't actually read. That's critically important to being successful in reading, I think, is reading books that you actually do enjoy and, and making time to enjoy the reading for what it is instead of trying to make it a big old project. So we're excited about that. But I do think Nick, you're right. It's probably a good idea for us to put a little bit of a hiatus on this while you figure out your life and you move across the country. Yeah. So, okay. We, maybe there will be a book that comes out that gets popular and we will want to discuss that one and it will be in fable. And this is not the end. This is only the beginning, Chris, just like uh, many, many things. I think also the couple episodes are not going to be on YouTube because we're traveling. Also the zoom thing we discussed last time. Absolutely not. That is over for the rest of my life. Thank you very much. So yeah, we're, we're not, we're not going to mess with giving our data to Chinese companies. We're, we're just not doing it. No, absolutely not. We're we, going to do, we're going to, give our data to American companies. That is Thank you very much. Right. 100%. God bless this country. God bless this country. Um, so that's what's going on. And we get into the fall. We've got some cool stuff coming up for sure. There's always cool stuff around the corner. Thanks to everybody that I think we got an influx of followers that may have came for Taylor Swift and then they listened to the Taylor Swift episode and they were like, fine, we didn't love it, we, it but it's fine. It's good enough not to get mad at. So that is... That, that's cool. how I felt when I listened to the Taylor Swift episode. <laughs> good enough not to get We mad. do our standard quality control. I thought, you know what? Yeah, this is uh, this is certainly passable. Yeah, um, and that had nothing to do with us besmirching Taylor, which we didn't do. We almost did. We went right up to the line. We put one toe over it. We put it back over. <laughs> the, the thing I... Th I would characterize our podcast as at, at this point yeah. after having listened to the Taylor Swift episode, which which was really fun to research. Was actually, fun. I'm not I'm I not much it. of a Swifty, but it, it was fun to make. The way I would characterize this podcast is we're one of the really boring channels on the radio in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Yeah, you know what? That's a good call. That is a hundred percent tolerable. That is we often say true things. The analysis is fit for gameplay and should not be taken as serious advice by anyone for yeah. any reason. Zero percent, and that particularly pertains to gambling, which is what we're going to get into today. Before we start that, Chris, I wanted to uh, read for you a verse that I think matters for today, and I want I wanted to Ooh, see a verse. a verse. Are we quoting scripture? Or? Uh, for me, yeah, for sure. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, <laughs> I could not travel both. And being one traveler, long I stood and looked down one 
as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. We do not own the copyrights. No, we don't. By the way. Which is why we're going to do one verse. It's, it is the road not taken that has made all the difference, Chris. That's all right. the difference in the world. That's right. That's Robert Frost. This is what we're talking about today. It's called, we're, we're going to start with something called the random walk. and We're going to get into something called the Martingale strategy, which is a betting system that is stupid, and we will talk about that. But let's start with a random walk. So it is not two roads diverging in a yellow wood for a guy that's uh, pondering, wow, what if I didn't try to sell out and become rich and famous? What if I actually married the woman that I loved, which is probably what that poem is about. What is a random walk? Well, a random walk is a very cool, very fun mathematical construct that allows you to explore a lot of really interesting probability theory applications. Okay. At its most basic, the random walk, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote here from Encyclopedia Britannica because they do a good job of, of summarizing what this is. So random walk is a concept in probability theory. It's a process for determining a probable location of a point subject to random motions, hmm. given the probabilities of moving some distance in some direction. So in other words, for some object that's at some point on a line or in a grid or in a three-dimensional space or in like a set of states like in gambling, placing bets, how much money does somebody have, subject to random forces, as in you can go in one direction or the other, you can go in multiple dimensions, you can go some certain distance at each step. The question is, what is the probability of a person or an object going from the starting point or some starting point to a different point in the matrix, on the grid, on the line. And it sounds like it's, it, it almost sounds like kind of a waste of time. It's like, all right, a random walk. Somebody's starting somewhere and going somewhere else. Whoop-de-doo. Right. But it, it, what it really does is allows us to get through, kind of walking through the process of stepping into probability theory. Nick, one of my favorite episodes that we've done was the Monty Hall problem. 100%. You remember that one? I do. Yeah, I so. do. That, was, we, that was our funniest episode because you're like, okay, shut up. We have to make sure that... <laughs> We, we have to step through. And, and I, I really like that that one kind of came back to bite us because somebody, it didn't come back to bite us. Somebody did the exact thing that we called out in the episode, yeah. which is that they made the mistake of skipping through the process of going through each iterative step. They, they, they went from the starting point to the end point and thought the middle was unimportant. And they said we were wrong as a result of that. Right. I'm telling you right now, the process of going through each of the steps of the random walk and going through the decision tree process, that makes a huge difference when it comes to probabilistic events. And in the case of the Monty Hall problem, it actually does numerically change the results of the calculations that you do, even though you know what the starting and end points are, even though you know that there's a straight line that you could theoretically draw from one point to another, the random walk that occurs in between, that makes a significant difference in whatever the mathematical result is that you are trying to calculate. Yes. You mentioned you've mentioned gambling before. Obviously, there are a lot of applications with gambling. Probably, but the point yeah. is that the random walk draws out a set of decisions that somebody would have to make a, along a pathway to get from point A to point B. It's not a straight line. It would look an odd journey on a map. To yes, to, to, to borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis. Ah, oh, what a great uh, what a great time to, to borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis as I get back into fantasy. I'm I'm, I'm super excited about fantasy. But we don't want to get too diverted Dude. to talking about fantasy. Fantasy is great. Dude, C.S. Lewis is so underrated. I, I think I died a little bit inside. I, as you know, I work with speech and debate kids, coach them remotely. And they're bright, they're excited, they're energetic. And almost all the kids I work with are really, really hardworking. And the ones that are not just naturally drop off from, from the activity. But they're very few and far between. But one kid almost ended my career 
when he wanted to quote from C.S. Lewis because he liked what the quotation was. And I said, oh, I think you could even add a little bit more on that. There was a little bit more context there. I think that would add value to your speech. And he goes, yeah, but it's just Narnia. Who cares? <laughs> I almost died when this kid said that. I, I, I couldn't believe that. Well, I, they think Narnia maybe have inspired the four houses of um, of uh, Hogwarts. Yeah. There are some yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah. They, so, oh. but, the, but the 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 C.S. Lewis phrase is, it would look an odd journey yes, on a map. The random walk is the, th- is the journey that probability theory takes to get from one state to another state right so i think i i want to use a sports metaphor here because they're just the greatest things for doing that have you ever watched a football game or a basketball game and it is between somewhere in the like the hard middle like second third quarter like right in the smack middle and something weird is going on like the score in a football game is like like two to eleven and you're like what the hell are we doing but then the game ends 27 to 24 so you're like oh well we Mm -hmm. ended up at 27 to 24 but the decisions that were made when it was two to eleven a bizarre score in a football game kind of led to that point that didn't mean that the people who predicted it to be 27 to 24 were wrong but also the people that were making the decisions had to navigate the weirdness of the randomness of of 11 to 2 but and the difference is in a football game it's finite it ends at 60 minutes and that kind of brings everyone to to a point but when that doesn't happen probability gets super weird in the middle because you have to make decisions on information that didn't I mean, maybe it crossed your mind, maybe it didn't, but the the way that you got there is not the same way uh, that you thought you would have got there if you simply looked at the score at the end. Exactly. In our in our very last episode, our, our episode about data, our dishonest data in the honesty studies. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do. So we, yeah, it, it, great stuff. We talked about the shape of the histogram being yep. based on the mean and the standard deviation, and it's kind of like a like an S shaped curve that that's mirrored right in the middle. It's not quite a pyramid, but right. there's this distribution of bins. And when that shape is symmetrical and normal, it means that the data that were pulled to create that sample were subject to random forces. It was a completely normal random set of data, and it's a mathematical artifact that those distributions end up having that shape. And there's precise ways to describe that mathematically speaking. And that construct is, is really, really useful and valuable. The random walk is a set of circumstances that isn't necessarily going to give you the same kind of shape of a histogram because the process is different from it. it, It's different from measuring like how many miles a person has driven as we talked about in that episode. Right. But in this case, it's one person going or one object going from one place to another within some kind of dimensional space. Uh, there are a couple of different like categories of random walks, and maybe maybe the best way to break this down is to go through the example of a lattice random walk. You know what a lattice is. Yeah, because we had to build it on our deck to keep the sun out. Yeah, lattice is the thing where there are a lot of like overlapping beams that kind of create this checkerboard type of pattern. We had a beautiful diamond-shaped pattern yeah uh, shout out to dale for being a supreme architect on 100 yeah I, I recall but the lattice random walk is a model of this random walk that that operates on some kind of lattice structure oftentimes it's it's like a grid yeah and you can have any number of dimensions to this but it's hard to do the abstractions once you get to be on like three dimensions of of being able to move in a different direction so let's break this down with the one dimensional random walk this is like the baseline simplest case scenario for a random walk on a lattice structure. That so if it's a grid, you can go dimension. up or over, right, on a line. Yeah, so that would be two dimensions. So you could go vertically in whatever direction you want, yep. horizontally in either direction, but it's, it's kind of like moving along the, you know, the lines between the squares on a chessboard. Yeah, sure. But in a one-dimensional random walk, it's just a line. Yep. It's just a number line. So imagine that you're on some infinite integer line that comprises all positive and negative integers, and the starting point is zero. 
one of the basic rules that you could establish for this random walk is both magnitude and direction. For simplicity's sake, we're going to keep magnitude the same. And we're going to say that every single step is one unit in either direction. Which is, units will come back, we'll talk about that in a minute. That's right. And because it's one-dimensional, you have basically two options. You can go positive along the line, or you can go negative along the line. Right. So at every given moment, wherever the, the object is on the number line, starting from zero and going in either direction, at each individual step, they have an equal chance of moving to the right and going in the positive direction or moving to the left and going in the negative direction. It's, it, I guess a simple way to model this would be like flipping a coin, right. heads and tails. Yes. So you assume that the forces of nature are random and that statistically speaking, there's a 50-50 chance of either a heads or tails coming up. Well, the way that you would model this random walk is like if you could do like heads for the positive direction, tails sure. for the negative direction. And it turns out, Nick, that at every single step, you can model this as a set of decision trees. It's exactly like the Monty Hall problem. So, so right. picture this. On your first flip, let's say you get a heads. Great. You move one to the right. You're, you went from zero to one. But at that point, the next step doesn't have anything to do with the previous result. You still have an equal chance of getting heads and tails. So now the heads branches off into two different possible futures. You could get another heads or you could get another, or, or you could get a tails and move back to where you started. But then at each of those points, let's say you get another heads again. Now you're at two. Your next flip, again, doesn't depend on the previous results. So you could either move forward to number three or backward to number one. You can't stay at two. Right. And when you map this out, when you map out all these possible futures, it, it looks exactly like the decision tree that we talked about with the Monty Hall problem. It's, it, it's a critical part of getting to where you want to go. And I, I think understanding that this, this one-dimensional line, the possibility of moving either in the positive direction or the negative direction even such a simple system has a really interesting result that you get this, this decision tree of possible futures. And you can extrapolate that out to larger and larger dimensions and make some really interesting patterns with the actual walk that you take. But the point is that at every single step, the results of what are going to happen next are wholly independent. They're statistically irrelevant uh, to what has happened <clears throat> Previously, yeah. So I think, let, and let's start the transition to sports gambling here because I think that's where things are going to get a little weird. Because we're going to talk about the Martindale mm -hmm. system, how stupid it is, and everybody. When you start thinking about gambling, um, the Martindale system on sports gambling is one angle, but the Martindale system in blackjack is another really scary one where people will just lose their entire life savings because they're like, oh, well, this is just what I'll do. And it, it's so logical in your head, but you don't see the fallacies because as we know, similar to our, our rock, paper, scissors episode, like our second most popular episode of all time, the mm -hmm. it's essentially a coin flip, but there just a, is equally a likelihood or a third of a likelihood of ties. And other than that, it's just the same thing as flipping a coin. There's, not, there's no strategy involved at all, but it feels like there is, which is why sports gambling is so interesting. So f let's say, for example, I'm watching Notre Dame uh, play Marshall, and I know because I've watched Notre Dame play Marshall that Marshall Christ. will win the game pretty handily. Um, you had to bring that one up. <laughs> I did. You had to. You had to bring that up. Right. So if Let's I not bet forget. Never, never mind. Never mind that Notre Dame football won a bowl game against an SEC team last year in convincing fashion. Never mind that Notre Dame is technically the state champion. South Carolina. South Carolina. South Carolina doesn't count. It was South Carolina who beat Tennessee and Clemson. Yeah, right. You know what? Fine. Fair enough. That that is fair. I thought that for sure with all this conference realignment that Notre Dame would. They had Spencer the Rattler. Yeah, conference realignment. <sighs> so okay. Notre Dame is going yeah. to lose to Marshall, and I'm going to bet on Notre Dame losing to Marshall. It means I'm going to bet positively on Marshall to win the football game. We're not talking about spreads. We're just 
Up or down, yes or no. Right. So Notre Dame will be favored again. We're not going to get into you, any of that. It's random walk, yes or no, up or down. But then something weird happens, which is that Notre Dame beats Marshall, which would be a shocking top five upset in the history of sports. So I will destroy you. <laughs> when that happens, now I'm losing. So this would logically dictate, well, how do I get back to zero? I have to bet the same thing. So one integer that I would say that um, BYU will beat Wyoming. So BYU will beat Wyoming. That'll happen. They get back to zero. But in your brain, you're like, well, I want to come out positive on this. So I need to take a two-step walk, right? A two-integer walk to get back on the positive side of the number line. But then another crazy thing happens. Wyoming beats BYU, and we are now three away. and We can see ourselves spiraling. And this is where the randomness of the walk comes into play because we know over a period of time, the sample size of coin flips is going to come out to 50-50. However, en route to that, even at 100, it could be 75 tails and 25 heads. The difference is that when you start gambling on sports or you start uh, buying stocks, you might not have the integers to cover a 75-in-a-row streak. That And when it compounds... That's like all of the money in the history of the world. Yeah, the, the strategy purports to take advantage of, if we dive a little bit deeper into the math here, it's trying to take advantage of a concept called the expectation value of whatever it is that you're trying to gamble on. The Martingale is, is an interesting point on the expectation kind of scale, and, and we'll get to that and we'll explain why this is like a, a gambling strategy. But to establish kind of the basics... If you're taking a random walk, the question of where you go and which direction and how far you go in that direction at each step, that's one set of issues. And you, you can just kind of adjust those parameters based on the number of dimensions that you want and right. how far you want each step to go. Do you want each step to go to the same length? So for simplicity's sake, let's assume that's the case. Like you said, you know, if, we, if we're betting on Marshall or Notre Dame, we're betting on do they win the game or do they not win the game? Sure. We're not going to worry about spreads right, for right now. The next question that logically arises in my mind is how long do you carry on this process? Right. Why why do you stop at a given point? I mean, what's what's the number of steps that you can take and arrive at a certain expected outcome for the result of the random walk? And the way that mathematically you would do this is by taking kind of the sum of all the steps or like the what's what's the end result of like if you combine every single value gain or loss on on this set and you make a series. And the series is called the simple random walk on this number line or within this space. And the question is, if this set, if this series were to go on infinitely, mm -hmm. if you were to just never stop this random walk, what right. would the like average expected value be? And through calculus, which I'm not going to break down in too much detail, but I am going to say some calculus terms here in a second. Calcul all right, let's count. Using, using calculus, you can take the number of steps and go larger and larger and larger. And you can approach the limit of N, being the number of steps, mm -hmm. going to infinity. So you can just say, like, all right, let's just say we carry this on forever. Using some kind of clever mathematical manipulation and some, and some pretty basic calculus, you can establish that the expected translation distance, as in the distance that you get from the starting point, after an infinite number of steps, the limit of the expectation value over the square root of the number of steps is equal to the square root of 2 over pi. So there is some established expected value. But there's a corollary to this. And that corollary is very, very important. And it explains part of the reason why the Martingale strategy is not especially wise. Mm -hmm. And if this is a lesson that I, I think I've mentioned this before, but... In a lot of freshman engineering classes where people are first starting to learn like computer code, mm -hmm. they'll do like a gambling simulator. It's really easy to code like a blackjack sure. simulator. Where, yeah. 
Yeah, well, you just have somebody placing bets and, and making moves and doing whatever else. When you have an infinite series like this, when n goes to infinity, the question of how many times the random walk crosses some boundary line is that it's infinite. So the result is that level cross is it's called this level crossing phenomenon. Uh, it's also called the gambler's ruin. And what that means is, Nick, in a space, if you're allowed to take infinitely many steps using the same parameters that we laid out where you can go a certain magnitude in a certain direction and the, those directions are totally dependent on the random forces of statistics, that value will cross this a certain level an infinite number of times. And what that means for the gambler is, at some point, mathematically speaking, the random walk will take you to across the zero line. Mm -hmm. In other words, the house will at some point get your money back. You cannot keep playing in perpetuity. You cannot keep playing games of chance. You can manipulate parameters and make smart, smarter or safer bets. You can hedge. You can do all kinds of stuff. But it's a fallacy to think that the value, the expectation value of a bet is going to stay the same. And the martingale is a concept in probability theory that's a sequence of random variables for which at any given time, at any given moment along the random walk, the conditional expectation of the next value in the sequence is the same as the present value, regardless of all prior values. So it seems to make sense that where you're going to go is based on where you are. Yeah. But that's not the case when no. you're dealing with random probability theory. And the corollary for the gambler is that at a certain point, if you continue to play games of chance, you will lose your money. And the proof that the reason I bring up this freshman engineering class example is you know the the proof that you would have to have for in order to ha like prove the hypothesis that somebody could keep gambling forever and and continue to make money is that when you code in this probability theory at some point the simulation ends when the player runs out of money right the fact that nobody has ever written a simulation that has just continued forever and it's and it's not like you know you couldn't write infinitely recursive series in, in programs people do all the time and that's a messed up program but the fact that nobody has ever written a blackjack program where the simulation has just gone on forever indefinitely that tells you that well the simulations always end the player always runs out of money that's a statistical fact at some point it will be it, it will be the case that the player going on the random walk is going to run out of money. You cannot continue to gamble in perpetuity. And that's in that you know that's Kenny Rogers, right? You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You have got to know when to hold them. Mm -hmm. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. You got to know when to run. So the, the, you the got to know. The walking away part is the <clears throat> part of me. That's the important part of, of the gambling thing. So I want to get into the unit size when when placing bets. And we got some other mathematical concepts we want to dive into. So Phil Mickelson, Chris. Uh, there's some news coming out about him, some people alleging some things in some books about how much money he's gambled. Um, uh, my sports podcast has not returned from its hiatus due to me being a vagabond, essentially, in, in hotels and on the road and sleeping on air well, mattresses. And to be, to be fair to you, football season also hasn't started up yet. And until we're past week zero... You can't say that you're back in sports season. You just that's, can't. That's, that's true. And also, uh, the, the World Cup is happening right now. The FIFA Women's World Cup is happening right now. All-time choke job from any any American sports team in the history of American sports, except for perhaps, I think basketball took third or something in like 2004. There's, there's like rock bottom for American women's soccer. I think you're right. It, it's, it's a joke. Like, no country in the world has a bigger advantage over all their competitors than mm. U.S. women's national team soccer and U.S. men's basketball. And they made the most important mistakes that you can make. Vanity, there were people on the team that were old legends that should absolutely not have been on the team, and then those people choked in front of the entire world. This, you know, alas, yep. this is not a sports podcast. 
However, on my sports podcast, we were talking about this Phil Mickelson news. If you don't know who Phil Mickelson is, he's top 10, 20 golfer of all time. You know, would be super famous if not for Tiger Woods, that kind of guy. Someone alleged in a book, someone he knew, and uh, not, it's not a sports podcast, that he has bet in, the, in his life about a billion dollars. The numbers are absurd. Here Phil Mickelson facts. has bet a billion dollars. Where does he get a billion dollars? He's worth a couple hundred million. We'll, we'll talk about that. This is the random walk because he's going to win some and then he's going to lose some and he's going to win some because you just it just changes hands. It's just a cycle. So mm-hmm. Phil Mickelson, here are some facts from the book. Fact number one: He bet one hundred and ten thousand dollars in order to win a hundred thousand dollars on a total, a total of eleven hundred times. Sorry, eleven hundred bets. For one hundred ten thousand on eight hundred occasions, he bet two hundred twenty-two thousand dollars to bet to win two hundred thousand dollars. The gross sum of those total bets nineteen hundred bets three hundred and eleven million dollars. Now this is where it gets interesting Ooh. for me, and this Ooh. is what the corollary here. On one day in two thousand eleven. He made 43 bets on Major League Baseball games, which to me, I have never and will never, even with gambling, cared 43 times about any Major League Baseball ever, except for the World Series, which Truly. is part of being an American. I would bet on the Little League World Series, maybe. Is that dark? No, dark. no. <laughs> don't, don't, don't bet on the Little League World Series. My uh, God. One day, yeah, so he bet on 43, 43 bets on Major League Baseball games, resulting in $143,000 in losses. Now, that, to the... To us plebeians out here, that sounds like an enormous amount of losses, but we have established... It is an enormous amount of losses. We have established, however, that Phil bets, baseline bet, somewhere around $110,000 to $100,000 as a unit. So for us, that's an enormous amount of losses. But for Phil, that's simply one and a half integers of losses, which is, that's how you protect yourself as a gambler. Now, Phil is clearly a gambling addict. Not that I'm a psychiatrist and I would never give medical advice, obviously, but pretty clearly. Mm -hmm. For the rest of us gambling, the most important thing to protect yourself from ruining your financial life and your children's life is to have units. So Phil, while placing 43 bets for millions of dollars, was only down 1.5 integers on the timeline, which means that's how he can gamble a billion dollars. Because his integers crazy. are so much bigger. So my integers just, I mean, it's also uncouth to talk about bet size, and that's how people become and, uh, Yeah, you don't want to talk about your integer size. Yeah, no, integer, integer size <laughs> integer size doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But what I matters gonna, is how you use those integers. I am. Or integer in some of our cases. Yes, integer. I am going, so my integer size is $5. If I don't feel $5 worth of, of, of strength on a, on a bet, then I'm not going to go micro integers, because, again, my everybody... All bodies are different. Micro integers, <laughs> that's how you leak. That's how you it's leak unit size. So there's my, no reason to bet integers. a $1 bet because if I don't care a unit size on it, then I, I shouldn't be placing it. So that's this is kind of how we can get hung up on this. When you see the numbers on Phil Mickelson's losses, you're like, this is absurdity. But in reality, that's a distraction from the most important point, which is that, no, it's 1.5 integers, which on a random walk is expected. That's, ex- that's what's going to happen. You're going to go up 1.5. You're going to go down 1.5. That's exactly right. It is, yeah. And I, I want to clear something up at this point because you have introduced the concept that describes random walks generally. Like, random walks are a specific example yes. of a broader category of statistical phenomena. Yes, let's, let's I zoom said out. earlier on, yeah, so I, 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 the, the, the connection to the earlier point is I said that eat, at each step of the process on the random walk, at each, at each stumbling block down the drunkard's path, 
every individual step is subject completely to the forces of probability and there's no way of determining which direction I'm going to go if it's a one-dimensional thing. There's no way of knowing whether I'm going to go vertically or horizontally in a two-dimensional space, etc. Right. That is different from what you're describing here, which is the magnitude at which you're able to bet. The more money that you accumulate, the bigger bets you're able to make and and the the difference in scale is established there. And that concept relates to something called a Markov chain. Yes. So Markov chain is a stochastic model. And stochastic means like subject to the forces. It's like a probabilistic system. A Markov process describes a sequence of possible events in which the probability of each event depends only on the state attained in the previous event. So in other words, if if I'm going along this drunkard's walk in the one-dimensional direction, and let's say I've gotten a lot of positive integers in a row, I'm in the 500s or whatever, the next value is going to be directly tied to where I'm at because the scale at which I'm stepping is far, far smaller than than the number at which I've arrived. You know, I just threw happenstance whether and i haven't always gone in the positive direction necessarily i could have taken a few steps back and along the way but eventually i'm going to cross that 500 space and eventually i'm going to cross the thousand space and eventually i'm going to cross the 10,000 space because if i'm taking infinitely many steps mathematically i will cross every threshold at at some point Mm -hmm. but once you get to those scales whether i'm going to have if i'm at 500 whether my next step is 501 or 499 those are both pretty close to where i'm at Right. The steps are far smaller than the overall magnitude that I'm taking. And so what you're saying with Phil Mickelson is that the bet size he's making, when you have hundreds of millions of dollars to bet with, bets of like $10,000 a unit are far, far smaller than where you are. And so his expected value as like a gambler, if you like compile it all into a net thing, it's still going to be far higher and it's going to be based on how much he started with. I mean, like the biggest, the most he could get on gambling is like playing super, super huge odds. But if he's doing like straight up betting, I mean, at most you can like double your money because you can't bet with more money than you have. Right. So this is the most important part. Like, I guess if if, this is actual gambling advice, not what picks to pick, but gambling advice is the most important part of sports betting to protecting yourself is unit size and bankroll. So like say if that's what unit size matters. Integer size does not matter. Unit, Unit size, size matters. matters. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pl- that's a player three construct for sure. But your bankroll is important too. And the, what I've done to protect myself is a reasonable amount that is what I would say equally as stupid for any other hobby. So my my bankroll in years past for NFL football only, because I'm not going to just throw money on sports I don't care about randomly, I, mm. for NFL football only is a hundred has been $100, and my unit size is 5 bucks. That means I have, what, 20 units right to play with and Ballpark. it's completely yeah. fine mm-hmm. so what you the where you get into the really dangerous part of martindale and the, this this unit probability mattering on where you started is where your bankroll is just whatever your debit card or credit card has that's mm-hmm. not keeping track of the math that's not paying attention to your wins and losses and you have to th- stop thinking about how much money you're making when you gamble which is why this phil mickelson thing is so eye-popping and start thinking about it in terms of units against bankroll so if, if Phil Mickelson's bankroll is all of his money, that's when you're a gambling addict. When your bankroll is, I have a million, my unit size is 50 grand, you're like, okay, that's fine. It doesn't matter. I'm up a unit, I'm down a unit. Then it just becomes no different than a game. It's just money involved. Yeah, the, your random walk is based on, you, you, you can have a direction and magnitude. Well, the direction is determined by the results of whatever you're betting on. I mean, you either Notre Dame wins the game, pulls off a miracle, or they lose to Marshall, just like everybody expects. The magnitude is the unit size. Right. 
That's exactly the, right. the, the number of the number of units that you place. It, it which is like it, it's basically like parameterizing how much money you have so that you don't lose your entire bankroll trying to bet like Phil Mickelson when you don't have Phil Mickelson money. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what happens to people and why it's so intense. And so, like you think about the same thing with blackjack or poker, you have to stop thinking about how much money you made on a hand and start thinking about whether or not you won the hand. That's the important thing. That's the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Otherwise, that's when you get addicted to the the money part of it. Well, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the Markov the process, Markov, yeah. the Markov chain. Yeah, there, just kind of some interesting notes here. You know, I, I mentioned the random walk is an example of a Markov chain process of events. And that has to do with the fact that it's memoryless. I mean, as in each individual step is determined by probability and not based on previous results, but where you are, the expected value of where you are is based on previous results. I mean, there's, there's kind of a weird tension there, but it makes sense if you, if you think about like, all right, starting from zero, going from positive to minus, that's a big difference. But if I'm at like a thousand going from a thousand one to 999, that's not that big of a difference. And that number could only be the result of having arrived at the previous number. So a little bit of a, a little bit of attention there, but once you separate those two things in your mind, I think it makes a lot of sense. So the random walk is obviously an, an example of this. The gambler's run is, is an example of this, uh, but there are actually a lot of other applications for Markov chains. There yes, are a lot of real world processes. It's, it's, it's not just like a random math. Well, it is a random mathematical thing, but it's not just like a <laughs> pointless mathematical thing. Mm. So one of the, one of the big examples is cruise control systems in cars. Oh, cruise control. Uh, yeah. Cruise control is really amazing. There, there's a whole field of engineering that's called uh, process controls. And that's, it's basically like, what, what are the, what are the dynamics at play in a system where if you design like an electronic controller or a mechanical controller, how can you use the laws of physics and probability to design a system where an automated machine or some kind of electronic machine can control where like the state of a process is. Cruise control is probably the most prominent example. And if, if you think of cruise control, you know, you, you got a vehicle that's moving at a certain speed and the driver wants the vehicle to stay at that speed. But as you're driving down the road, a whole lot is kind of working against the car maintaining that speed. First of all, there's the internal stuff in the vehicle. I mean, the engine burns gasoline at a specific rate and it takes air at a specific rate and you can kind of know those numbers, but it's not always perfect. If you got like a starter, that's a little bit out of whack or if you got lower fuel and so the fuel injection pressure is a little bit lower than normal, those things could cause slight variations in the performance of the engine that would result in a different net speed of of the wheels rotating. There's also external factors, like for example, if you're going up a hill, it's hard to maintain a consistent speed because it takes energy to keep the car moving at a certain speed and accelerate because you're going up that hill. You're changing huh, direction. That's crazy. Yeah, if you're facing, if you're like, if you're facing winds or something, or if you're driving over a crappy road, it's hard to continue to maintain that speed because there are all kinds of like physical changes that have to take place in the system. Well, the cruise control system is supposed to account for all that stuff. So, like, if the if the if the sensor detects that the vehicle is losing ground because it's facing a strong headwind, giggity, then this, the process control system will say, okay, we need more fuel because we're, we're burning at too low of a rate to maintain that speed. So the net result that's useful for like the person driving, I'm going 70 miles an hour. Doop, 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 doop. They, they don't have time to calculate all this stuff like fuel intake and r- elevation gain and whatever else. The process control system is a system that's designed to kind of take care of all of that so that the user can have a specific result. Well, that's an example of a Markov chain because the the place where 
you expect to go in a process control system. Like if you start going up a hill, the, the, the system needs to add more power, more energy to get the vehicle moving at that velocity. But the amount of power that it needs to add is dependent on how much power is already going to the system. Mm -hmm. It's For not sure. going to like suddenly start you know, injecting a ton more fuel because it, it, there's already fuel going to the engine. The automobile is already running. There's already right. energy in motion to try to get the vehicle moving at a certain speed. So that's probably the most... I would say immediate example for people, but there there, there are a couple of others. So the the, the process the, the the process management and process I guess process design of cruise control is really interesting as we learn more about um, you know how to to make cars as smart as possible. So I have an electric vehicle, and my wife and I both have vehicles that have updated cruise control. And I'm not sure if you've driven one of these. I know that your truck doesn't have it. Um, it's probably about five to ten years after your truck came out. There's a cruise control setting now where you can set how far back you want your cruise to slow down to mimic the speed of the car in front of you. And this is like sounds like some future scientific stuff, and it totally is. But um, wife's Subaru has it. And what you can do is like one car length, two car lengths, three car like uh, safe distances. And then the cruise control will simply slow down to mimic the speed of the car in front of you, regardless of your lane. And it's actually really easy to be making time. I would never uh, advocate for breaking the law. But if you're in cruise control <laughs> over the law, then there's a car in front of you. You don't even notice that you you're just following this car now um, and not putting any pressure on them to pass or whatever, which from a safety standpoint is probably the way to go. However, from a process management standpoint, the process has to be more efficient if it understands that the driver is not going to take over the speed of the truck and alter the the variables in the same way that the car is like, actually, let's just slow down. I am in complete control because I now have even more information, which is the information of the speed of the car in front of you. Yeah, well, and I think there's there's advantages and disadvantages to that. I mean, if you're designing a process control system, that's just another set of variables that you have to account for. I mean, right. that system has to take into into account the probability that the slowing down vehicle is going to cause some kind of accident, and it has to figure out okay, what's the what's the rate of acceleration of this vehicle relative to that vehicle? So it's not just like the one dimensional change of speed; it's the it's the second order change of the rate of change of position. So. There's a lot that has to go into it, but I mean, it is mathematically possible to parameterize all that stuff, and 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 you, you know, process controls is, is it's a really complex field of engineering, and there are professionals that are working on it all the time. I mean, that's why we're able to use like sensors to detect other vehicle speeds, to inform the circuitry, to change the rate of fuel inject to the engine, to specifically adjust this like resulting parameter was which is speed that has nothing or that, that that has to do with the physics of the internal combustion engine but that like the driver could never possibly right. kind of relate 100%. you have to have a, a process that's that's kind of in charge of that if you're going to automate the system and yeah you know, I, I, I said cruise control is the most immediate example i mean process controls is it, as i said a whole field of engineering people use it a lot in like managing circuit loads mm -hmm. they use it in managing like fluid flows through tanks and pipes and pumps and shit it, it's a really key part of being able to automate processes and monitor processes that are automated. And this, the, there's a statistical element to all of this because some of the factors at play are memoryless. I mean, they, they, they're dependent on where the system already is operating, sure. which is why startup and shutdown of like chemical plants, for example, is really complicated. But some of it has to do with this, the statistical nature of stochastic processes. And so they're technically considered Markov chains. And I, I, by the way, I, just to just to round out the list of, of, of other yeah, examples, I mean, 
So I mentioned process controls. I mentioned cruise control and motor vehicles. Uh, apparently, currency exchange rates. Sure. It's not just like, it, it's not like, oh, yeah, well, if a dollar is five pesos, then every time I spend $10, I'll get, I'll spend 50 pesos. Like, no, currency exchanges have to do with the amount of capital inflows and outflows that are going through. It, it's, it's a very, very complicated process. Uh, but currency exchange rates, the rates at which like one set of currency changes value relative to another, that's a markup chain because mm -hmm. it depends on where the currency values are relative to each other. And all of them, all of them. Yeah. Yes. Animal population dynamics in a sure. system. If you're monitoring like predator prey, I mean, there's like that famous sigmoidal curve where it's like the carrying capacity of the system and there's like mm -hmm. a continual rate of or, or a fairly linear rate of growth in the middle. That's a Markov process because it has to do with random factors like animal death rates and animal birth rates and all kinds of stuff. More directly related to science, there are, are a lot of like Monte Carlo processes and, and Monte Carlo is a, a concept I think we're going to have to dive into. At yeah, some point. I, that's come up in the fringes of a number of episodes. Well, yeah, and it has to do with gambling and random yep. processes and sure. it's a way to basically model what a process looks like without having to do like physical experiments. Mm -hmm. And that's really useful in fields like thermodynamics, statistical mechanics, physics, like really complex systems where you're trying to track stuff like entropy and energy and enthalpy and, and whatever else. A uh, lot of applications in other fields of chemistry other than like process controls. A lot of economics examples other than currency exchange. Signal processing is a really important, it, it has, has a lot to do with Markov processes, speech processing, information theory. A lot of this stuff is a combination of the, like the tension between Every step is random and is subject to probability theory and has nothing to do with the result of the previous step. And the expected value, the expectation of where you are in a given random walk depends on the, the trail that you've taken to get there. It depends on the immediate result that you just got. That's It's like you don't know whether you're going to go plus one or minus one. Mm -hmm. But if you're at a thousand, you can bet the next step is going to be pretty close to a thousand. It's going to be a thousand one or nine ninety nine. I want to talk about how this can kind of become routine. And what I mean by that is, say you design a system and you're just going to let it go. You're just going to see, and there's a lot of mathematical stuff, like very beautiful designs of number equations and what they look like expressed as like graphs. But eventually you can see that depending on what variables you input, things will find their routines and their patterns. And I think a great example of this is something that's happening to me right now in my house and most people, the house that we're, we're furnishing, and, and most people the have houses the like drunkards this walk down Kingston Pike. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a random chance that you're going to make it walk away from the bars. Walk toward the football stadium when in Knoxville, <laughs> usually. So the, have you ever been in someone's house, and this is essentially, I'm, I'm serious, like pretty much every house, there is a, a foyer or a, a formal dining room or a sitting area and no matter how familiar you are with these people, that room is essentially never used. There's nobody that ever just sits there. It's just completely gone. And like the, the, the flow of walking through the house becomes established, and then it is. like you, you put your furniture where it needs to go, and after a point in time, I swear to God, this room is just irrelevant, and nobody knows like how to make this room less relevant. It just people are like, "Oh, this will be our thing." The rooms are huge. They're really helpful, and people will put like a piano there or something, and then nothing ever happens in the room. Yeah, it's, it's really bizarre. Like, I remember visiting friends' houses in college, and everyone had, like, a little dining room, and it was almost like a weird museum. Like, you could tell there like, – like, even for people who keep the home really, really clean, yeah. it's a useless space nobody thinks about. So there's, like, this thin film of it, – it's not that they're not clean people. It's that that room just does not – it's not lived in. Right. 
which is strange. There's always like a weird dining set where like they're like, oh yeah, that's where we keep the good china. And yeah. Do you ever use this for like special occasions? And, I guess. And and everyone like kind of thinks there might be some time in the future where they're going to use the special dining room, yeah. and like they're never going to fucking use the dining never. room. Never. It never happens. And but you want to have it. And you have the house, and you think like, what percentage? Of the house is this. So imagine the house expressed as a graph, and you you, you input the variables, which expressed math, math, mathematically would just be like living and walking and your daily life and breakfast and coffee and bathrooms and things. And you're like, mm-hmm. none of the variables include what we have dedicated this room for. So on the graph, you're like, what is this black space here on this graph? Why is this enormous, valuable real estate just ignored? And I, it's because when you set the variables free, they will tell you what is important and what isn't. It is just on you to listen to them or to not listen to them. And that's 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 process control for me. It's kind of the 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 jump that I'm making. I'm watching I'm watching this happen, and it's not just I know it's going to happen in my house. We're going to do the exact same thing. We're having Obviously. this conversation, and we're going to do it. Yeah, and you you're going to think yeah, I could turn this room into like a like a den or like a yeah. like a cigar room that I'll cordon nope. off from the rest of the house. That I'll keep. No, you're not going to do shit with that room. You're nope, going to do nothing. absolutely nothing with it. And you know, that, I I think that speaks to the design of the system that you're in. I mean, the, the simple example that we've been using is like a, a staggering walk down a one dimensional line or like a grid pattern. Right. Well, when you're, when you're inside a house, I mean, there's, there's the limitations on the system right there. Sure. Mathematically speaking, you will go in that room, assuming yeah. that like your human behavior, you know, it, uh, you account for patterns and stuff where people are usually going about their day to day lives or, or whatever else. But I mean like people with kids who can like crawl or run around totally that, that's much more reflective of a random walk because I mean, they're little kids. They're for, they're figuring out how to explore the house. And if they're allowed to run loose, then the odds of them going to one place or another, I mean, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a more random process where a kid goes in a house versus an adult, but they're still, I mean, if you were to look at like a map of their life path from above, like you can do on like breath of the wild or something, mm-hmm. you can like track, trace your path back through. You'll see that they're, the shape of the pattern that they take is, is constrained by the system that they're in, but they are going to cross all of those thresholds at, at, it's just a matter of like, how long do they live in the house? And eventually it's, it's they will go into all the rooms. Because the children, the children is a great example of like what a real random walk kind of giving you the information. Famously at Disney, Disney world, when Disney world opened, they didn't really build paths. They just kind of let people walk. And eventually everybody figured out the most efficient flow through the park. Ch- uh-huh. Children running through my house are going to figure out what room is going to work. And like, they're just going to, they're going to run around famously. This is a famous study that has, has gone re-viral because um, people just Google stuff and then it gets on TikTok and podcasts and whatnot. So we're going to participate to that. Um, I like that. In 2010, there were Japanese researchers um, that designed a small map of Tokyo. And then they put mold in the map of Tokyo. And the mold found out the most efficient ways through Tokyo. And that is, to this day, helping them design the mass transit system. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's that's so crazy. Like... The, the the biological process like life finds a way it, it's it, it's really amazing to me and you know I'm we're we're drawing from a lot of different sources but sure. obviously we use Wikipedia as well they have examples of like graphically here's what a random walk could look like in this multi-dimensional space mm-hmm. and as you take a larger number of steps the there are start to emerge kind of patterns. I mean, there's one where there's two dimensions where they take like a thousand steps. And then there's one where they take like 25,000 steps. There's one where they take two and a half million steps. And it it looks like a, a, almost like a painting where there's like finer and finer detail. But if I, if I like kind of squint my eyes, I can see like, Oh, that looks like a pattern of like the growth of grass on a lawn, or that looks like the pattern of the growth of weeds or the growth of, of bacteria on, on whatever else. And like, 
it, it, but it also vaguely looks like if I were to throw water all over the floor, where are the drops going to land? Assuming they're like thrown basically randomly. It looks like almost a map of the continents or like river systems. Mm-hmm. Like where's the water going to flow? It's just going to go some efficient path that like the path of the water is going to be random to some degree, but it's also going to be dependent on the results of the path before. And like the, the, that we're getting into like, you know, Deep the physics of fluid and, mechanics, yeah, yeah. but there's still some stochastic nature to that process. 100%. And so this, like the, these guys in Japan doing this study, it makes a lot of sense. Totally. It, it takes, it takes the, the efficiency of random processes and allows us to like, look at, okay, well we can, we can try to design like a more efficient transit system. We can try to design whatever 100%. else, it's what but ultimately like, well, yeah. And like the stochastic processes of like the random walk, I mean, that could, that might be a more efficient way of, of doing things and like you can just you can it's hard for me to characterize it because i'm not like a specialist but i'm sure there are people out there who could like why is it that this random walk that i'm looking at looks so similar to other larger physical phenomena that i see in day-to-day life why does this look vaguely like a map of the continent? it's weird why the, more, the deeper like you rivers? get into science the more it just makes it like the animals and and, and uh, other forms of life have kind of figured it out and i'll get you out of here with this example chris um my brother-in-law is in uh, biotech. He makes biotech devices that can be implanted to people to solve a bunch of problems. Um, you know, without blowing up his spot. He's an engineer. Not, not brain chips, though, right? Is he? No, he's not chips. doing the brain body okay. stuff. Definitely, definitely body stuff. He was saying he was telling me that there is a shark um, that can be found in the Pacific Ocean that microbi- microbes do not grow on it um, for whatever reason, and they want to figure out a way to replicate what's happening at a molecular level for their devices. They don't want the devices because microbes infection in surgery is like the thing that kills people. So they're like, how do we do this? And they, people have been looking into it and they don't know how to do it. That's crazy. So like the shark just, it's able to survive without getting microbes and nobody can figure out why. Well, yeah, I mean, it isn't, they don't, they don't know how to recreate that for surgical devices and we're trying to do it. And here we are looking at these random walks and like, wow, this, this pattern is just how grass grows. Like Math is bringing us closer to the world that has always been around us. It really is truly beautiful. I, yeah. I say that unironically. We, we have a little bit of a, you know, our tongue is permanently stapled to the inside of our cheek on this podcast, but I think unironically, <laughs> we're talking about some genuinely beautiful stuff here. We are. Well, I hope you enjoy the genuinely beautiful surroundings of Omaha, Nebraska. Suck it, Huskers. <laughs> College football's right in the corner. We're excited.